The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, So, Patria, I I got a... It's not a humble brag. It's just a brag. Straight up brag. (laughs) I got 13 hours in last week. It's the longest week I've had prior to doing Unbound in 2019. That's the one that used to be Dirty Kanza for everybody out there. Wow. 13 <laughs> hours. Congratulations. You know, I think everyone is jealous of that amount of time on a bike. I well, I don't I don't mean to make anybody jealous or envious right, or anything right, like you that, don't. but you know, it it was an achievement. I did have to ride all 7 days. Um but uh that was the that was week 3 in my first big block of base miles. And even though my legs are like <laughs> tired unto the point of mummification, Uh, (laughs) even late in the week, I could feel like, man, they're starting to be, you know, those mitochondria are starting to adapt and whatnot. And yeah, it, it feels good. It really feels good to be getting mileage like that again. Yes, that's really great. It Uh, it does feel good to do that. And for all those out there who can't be doing that right now, for whatever reasons, uh, we are glad for you. And and they can all laugh at at me because it was... I got rained on four out of seven days. Wow. That's got, a lot of rain. I got hailed on twice. Oh my gosh. And you, <laughs> wow. Hail. Okay. There could have been a third day, but gloriously I was inside when the hail came down. <laughs> oh my goodness. How, how large are these hailstones? Are okay. they little pee ones or so are we talking the, golf the ball? The first day last Monday, uh, the, the first day of it, uh, was itty bitty, uh, you know, just very small stinging against my face is what I noticed. Uh, oh. the second day, you know, they were like gumballs. Um, they were. Nice. That's pretty big. Uh, yeah. It can hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, about a centimeter in diameter. Mm-hmm. And then that was again, the next day when it came down and <laughs> I was looking at my balcony and the stuff piling up on the you know, on the floor of the balcony. And it's like, wow, I am so glad not to be out this time. That's right. That could be you out there. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. We're, we're full on spring here where mm-hmm. we had that lovely week last week. And now it's really cold, really windy. Ooh. We had a brief, I don't know, 30 minute snowstorm yesterday. It's it's been all over the place. And I'll tell you right now, I'm cold. Because after experiencing that warmth last week, I'm even sitting in my house at 73 degrees in here and I'm freezing. So this is the type of type <laughs> yep. of year where it's difficult for me because my body goes through this. I want it to be warm after feeling the warmth and but it's cold. So how do you dress and all that sort of stuff is very challenging, but it's mm-hmm. beautiful. You can't <laughs> hate it. Everybody's happy. It's it's the feeling of hope and warmth and summer and life returning back to normal. 
it, it feels really good. Cool. Cool. Uh, how cold is cold since obviously I don't understand real cold anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't. Well, with the wind, it's been really bad. The, the feels like temperatures have been sub zero. It just feels particularly biting. Um, maybe that it's more humid. Now I'm not sure what our humidity levels are this morning. I would say it was in the, it must've been a feels like 17 degrees, something like that. Mm. So quite cold. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Add wind. And if you're out there, I went fat biking yesterday on a lovely beach. But it was very windy. And so I, of course, was wearing all my heavy winter clothes. And that stuff is you're sweating, you're getting warm from the exertion. But that wind will also rip right through if you let any of the sweat out to let the, the jacket open up or anything. So that that was a little tricky to manage because the wind was so stiff. It was still nice to be out. Not complaining. It was great to be out there. (laughs) You're making me shiver. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting here. My toes are going numb as I'm I'm sitting here in my house in my regular clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, moving right along. uh, (laughs) What's your pull for us this week? Well, with the return of group rides, which we are thinking is around the corner. In a comment we received from a listener after I had discussed the feelings of fear when I had talked about going out on a long fat bike ride on my own, he made a comment that he's and his club has been trying to attract women for some time and have had trouble doing that. So that inspired my poll for today and not just in attracting women to a group ride, But as your club or shop rides are attempting to grow, how you include others. And I'm talking about everyone. Mm -hmm. Of course, while being more inclusive is going to attract women, it's going to attract people who are typically possibly intimidated by what a group ride looks like. There's a lot of fear for people going into anything that's new, a new group a group that looks like it's already been formed. People know each other. The beginning of a group ride. What do you hear? You hear people saying, hey, such and such. How are you doing? To someone who's new, that's very intimidating because they don't know where they fit into that. I think it's this is true, not just for group rides. This is any group in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you think about this, what are your feelings as a new person anywhere? You don't know how you how you fit into that. So if you're a ride leader, a club manager or a bike shop owner who is looking to bring new people in. And as you've mentioned, and we've certainly been discussing, there are a lot more new cyclists now who are looking to get more involved in cycling. So I think these group rides are going to be it's more important than ever. And it's always been important to attract new people. And these aren't necessarily new cyclists. It depends the nature of the group that you're trying to grow. But this isn't just saying bringing brand new cyclists in who are coming with maybe incorrect gear, the wrong bike or tennis shoes, that sort of thing. There are a lot of people who have been riding on their own for a really long time and they're looking for people. Mm -hmm. How do you find people these days? Kind of hard. (laughs) So Mm. now that COVID has given people an opportunity to spend a lot more time on their bikes, 
you will have more people who are very fit, very capable, who are looking to join a group. We have a, both of our bike shops have spent years. We're talking 10 years growing our group rides and putting a lot of time and effort into into growing the group rides to be the most including, accommodating, friendly community group rides in the Boston area. And I, I believe very strongly we can defend that our rides have accomplished that, which has been a lot. It's a lot of effort to get there. So I'd like to share some of what we've learned with you and hope this helps you. And maybe it just helps you think along the right lines. Um, and, and maybe your group is going to look different, but it will help you just get those thoughts moving and going. The number one most important thing for us is we have our webpage where we talk about each of our group rides. We list what the group rides all about, the distance, the pace, the various groups. Some of our rides, we have one route and then a few different paces of different groups. So we'll have a fast group, which is the 20 mile per hour people. Then we'll have a moderate pace group, 17 mile per hour average. And then we'll have what we call the fun group, which would be, say, 15, 16 miles per hour with everyone doing the same route so that one can choose which space group they want to go with. Mm -hmm. We've found it's really nice to have the same groups using the same route. So if you got on a fast group and you're unable to hang with that group because the pace is too high, you can stay on the route. And the next fastest group will come, pick you up, and continue on. But in each of our web pages that talks about each ride, we very carefully lay out what to expect. This is how the ride is going to be led. This is, you will have a group ride leader. Some groups have a sweep as well, which is basically a ride leader who stays at the back of, of the group. This is usually a service we offer for the, the slowest or what we call the fun group, because that's one. If someone gets dropped off, there is no group behind to pick that person up. Mm -hmm. And that person is then running on their own. These, of course, are the most vulnerable. The slower rider who's worried about being dropped off the group. It's horrible to be dropped. It's the worst thing ever. And you will hear stories over and over and over again from riders who said, I went out to that group, I got dropped, and I will never return. That's it. You had one chance to make this a good experience. And I'm not saying everyone who's ever come out to our rides has had a great experience. That's part of the learning. It's not easy. And you have to trust your ride leaders to offer a good experience. And we've been so, 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 so fortunate. And I cannot say thank you enough to the ride leaders who have stepped up. They're basically volunteering their time community who are strong cyclists and who are interested in offering leadership on rides because obviously it's almost impossible for a shop to hire employees to be on the ride or you really can't afford to pay people to join these rides so ride leaders do this out of the goodness of their heart and we as a shop will thank them through various either products services something but it's a small thanks it's a very small thanks for the incredible job that the leader does so telling people on this webpage there will be a ride leader there will be a sweep there won't be or hey this is a really fast ride make sure you know that you're going to be able to hang on this group 
if you show up for it. And at least with that expectation, what if you're not fast enough and you do get dropped? Well, expectation was it was going to be fast and you got dropped. So you're not disappointed. You did go in thinking, okay, I'm going to try and hang as long as I can. And Mm -hmm. people certainly do that. I've seen and I really don't want to make this about men versus women or any of that because there are too many uh, generalizations one can draw. But I do see it more where men will be more excited to join a group where they think they're going to get dropped. And every single week they come back saying, "Okay, today I'm going to get dropped less fast. And I'm going to last longer this time. Yes. I'm going to last longer. Yeah. And it's really cool to see how many people will end up lasting till the end of that ride after working at it and working at it. I do think that women are a little different from that because they're terrified of being that person who's dropped. There are a few women who don't think that way, but as as a, to draw a generalization, most people and, and most people in general are really, really worried about getting dropped. Like, where am I? Where, you know, now I'm on my own. I was really excited about being with the group. And why do you join group rides? Again, this is a, I mean, I think women tend to be very social and this is a great opportunity to connect. Mm -hmm. So if you're not there for connection, whatever, I got dropped. It's not a big deal. For me, when I'm on a group ride, it is to hang out with people. It's to chit chat and have a great time being with others. So, yeah, getting dropped is really not not a desired outcome. On the web page, on the expectations, we have a link to the shop waiver for any shop or club that doesn't have a liability waiver. It really is a good idea to have one. It does help in case of a lawsuit. It's not a cure all, but at the same time, not having one is really not a good idea and i've noticed most of the clubs in this area now do implement one and they expect their members to sign it in fact i think a lot of clubs won't offer uh, won't be able to get insurance if their members don't sign a waiver and that's good it sets expectations it's a great opportunity to say this is what we expect of you in terms of your riding and and what happens if you end up colliding with someone else on the ride like who's responsible for that. So it is, is really a good idea to have a a waiver that, that your members or customers will sign in advance. And then there's just the standard rules, the rules of the road. While it may seem obvious, it's not, it's really Mm -hmm. not obvious what those are. Then there's also the shop rules. So now with the, I'm going to talk about the rules of the road a little bit at the beginning of every ride. We either a shop, well, I'll say this, or the ride leader will take all the riders through the rules of the road. Well, they've heard them 150 times before every ride. It needs to be stated. How is this ride going to be run? Are you stopping at the stop signs? Yes, you're stopping at the stop signs. Good, because that's going to help eliminate a collision because somebody in the back thinks that you run stop signs and the people in the front are going to stop and maybe put a foot down. Uh, how many riders abreast are you riding here? We ride two abreast unless we impede traffic. Every state, every jurisdiction is going to be a little different. So make sure mm-hmm. your riders understand how this ride is is going to run. Uh, we we try not to have exceptions to rules because that creates confusion. So same rules, the beginning of every ride. Double yellow line. Why do you go near double yellow line? You really don't want to go near, near double yellow line. Well, what if a road doesn't have them? How do you behave? What if you have big potholes? 
there's a lot of that stuff where simply as a shop, and this is what's been difficult because you have to agree on these things. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you manage a pothole and how do you communicate? Do you yell at each other? Like a yell. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like in a nice way, are you, do you tell people how you're going to change, change lanes? Are you uh, coming to the back? Well, hand signals. Mm-hmm. Hand signals are a really good way of communicating because it doesn't involve you having to hear someone because sometimes it can be hard to hear. And then when you pull out in traffic, we really encourage people not to yell clear, for instance. I think this is a good example of a rule to figure out how you and your club want to handle it. Because if you yell clear and then the person in the back heard clear, but a car now is coming you just said clear, you know, there's those sorts of things. So it's really important to have a lot of conversations with your ride leaders as to what do they think and what is the, the area thoughts on, on this area thoughts, meaning how are the police, like how, what sort of rules do they expect you and your group to Mm -hmm. abide by? So all of that certainly helps the, the ride just, ride more smoothly but all of that also is setting expectations for that new rider who's looking at the web page who's thinking and trying to imagine what it's going to be like when this person shows up for the first time what's this scene going to look like and then what is the group ride going to look like okay so they're going in expecting these things and then when the group rides to those expectations that person feels really good That's what they had in mind. And now you just took a really scary situation and one full of lots of question marks and you presented that same situation. You you presented that experience that the person was hoping to have. We've received so many comments over the years how thankful people are for safe group rides. And that is very important. You'll find out that safety is extremely important to most people that that is a really important aspect of group writing that a lot of people aren't even going to necessarily say mm-hmm. but on the tail end when someone says oh yeah i've been coming to your group rides for years because they're safe because i like the safety talk prior to the ride rolling out I, and, and a lot of times when i hear that i'm like wow i would never have expected to hear that coming out of your mouth but that's why this person has been coming for a long time because they feel like at the end of the ride, their bike's going to be intact. They're going to be intact. And they really had a good time with their co-riders. That's the thing. When you can expect how people will ride, you're not worrying about what someone's going to do because everyone's riding in an expected fashion. That, that goes a long way. This goes a long way to attracting new riders And then those people tell their friends, hey, this was a safe ride. It's easy for them to tell someone else to come out and experience this ride. And then what we've found, too, is over time, I felt that the beginning of our group rides, the first hmm, few years, it was more the expect. I don't want to call it expectation, but I felt like I would hear at the end of the ride about that person who was riding erratically or that person who would like attack the group and go off the front or those sorts of stories I would hear fairly frequently. And at a certain point, 
that was the exception. I almost never heard those stories. And if one person was acting that way, it was a single person. It was easy for the ride leader to call that person out and say, hey, in a nice way, this isn't what we do on this group ride or take that back to the shop who can then do something about it and talk to that person. And we've uh, over the over the years, we've invited a few people with maybe three or four people to not return to our group rides because this, these people weren't setting a proper tone for everyone else. And when we heard from good riders saying, hey, I don't feel safe with this person around. We've had that person work with a mentor like here. This is a good way of writing this sort of thing. And if that person had the right intent and they wanted to learn, great, then we would invite them back after they had to practice these things. And if someone really wasn't interested in it, well, we didn't need them to come out on the group ride and ruin it for everyone else. Those are hard. That's hard to do. It's a difficult Indeed. conversation to have. So there's been a lot. Of, again, it's it's hard work. It's not easy. It's not easy to make your group ride the one that everyone wants to come to, feels comfortable with. And nor is your group ride for everyone. I, I think that's really important to state that you do not have to be the bike shop for everyone. You don't have to be the group ride for everyone because there are going to be people who want to ride differently. And that's OK. They can go. Well, maybe it's not OK, but you don't need to be associated with everybody and every type of riding. So that's where it's very important to figure out who you're trying to attract, what kind of riding you want to have and what experience you want to be able to offer people. And then that's that's how to focus. And if someone doesn't fit into that, typically they'll self-select out. You know, I, I, I really want to be riding 25 miles an hour and I want that group ride where everyone's attacking each other. That's OK. You can attack each other. There's nothing illegal about that at all. But that's a separate group. That's a different ride. And that's that's not this type of experience that that I'm talking about. So the that's I mean, there's just so much, I think, to that. Um, I think it can't be overemphasized that friendliness is important when someone's new to a ride and they show up for the first time. They're typically going to say, hey, I'm new here or this is my first group ride. Sometimes I'll ask, hey, how, how many people are here for the first time, especially in spring? You see lots of hands go mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Then you try to take that person over to the ride leader and introduce them. So they're on a first name basis. So many ways of making someone feel included, welcome and help them return because they felt like they were there. They were able to make connections with people and then mm -hmm. to see how many people have been able to create lifelong cycling and friendships just in general from group rides is, is more than awesome. Like That's so neat to see how that how that happens unquestionably yeah 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 so there's a there's a few thoughts about that there's so 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 much to be said about it i mean i could certainly talk for about five hours or more than that <laughs> like days we have spent literally hundreds of hours talking mm -hmm. about how to have the group ride that we want to have without any safety issues without the group being all over the road for example stopping at a stop sign what happens to the group a lot of times groups will fan out all over the road and that's <laughs> yes, something yes. that's difficult to police. Well, years and years and years of telling people, hey, when you hit the stoplight, stay where you're at, you know, to to abreast at the stop sign. And then stop and then proceed. 
great. And guess what? People are doing that now. That is the standard. This is how people are riding their bikes. It's so much more friendly with traffic. It doesn't freak cars out. And then people can start up in a very logical way. It's a safer way to start from that stop sign rather than everyone being all over the road and trying to form back again into the pace line or you're, or you're too abreast. So mm-hmm. like little things like that make, make the ride just, just so much better at pointing out potholes. The first two riders point out potholes well in advance so that the people right behind don't smack right into the potholes. So you're not, you're not spending time changing flats on the ride or you know hopefully not having to get somebody to the hospital because they fell into a pothole and and broke a collarbone Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. happens frequently in the springtime i think this is important if you live in a snowy climate and the plows have been out over the winter you've got huge potholes in fact i took in a bike yesterday from someone who was like rearranging her helmet or something not paying particular attention an excellent rider she fell into a pothole and Luckily, she only got bruised, but her her bike's kind of a mess, so so it needs to mm. be straightened up. But that happens; they're everywhere. Potholes are out there to get you, and in a group situation, it's hard to see that stuff. So, yeah. making it clear, point these things out. There's so much that can be done to grow that group, to make it safe, to make it welcoming, to bring more cyclists into into your group and into the sport. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What would you, what would you add to that? You know, my number one thing is just greeting people, acknowledging their presence. I mean, I've heard from so many people, like they didn't mind getting dropped, but they minded nobody talking to them. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It, you know, attitude will do so much, you know? Yeah pointing out the rules of the road or, or what the expectations are for the ride. Um, that's really helpful, but just greeting people and being friendly. I mm-hmm. so much more depends on that than anything else. Uh, just in terms of feedback I've gotten from people, you know, meeting someone and going, Oh yeah, I went out on the donut ride once. Nobody talked to me. Um, yeah. it's like, Oof. Yeah. Uh, It's so sad to hear that too. When you hear someone say that they didn't have a great experience, like, Oh, how did, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, years ago when I was at UMass, uh, every, every weekday, 2 PM, the team or whoever was available would meet at the Newman center, uh, which is right at one corner of campus. And it was not hard to find a cyclist who said they'd shown up for one of the UMass team rides Nobody talked to them. Then they got dumped, you know, got dropped out in the middle of nowhere uh, and had to find their way home. And frequently, you know, I mean, basically that happened to everybody on their first ride, Mm -hmm. you know, and only the most hardy of us came back again. Yeah, I uh, I barely had anybody talk to me. Mm -hmm. I got dumped. But it's like, well, that's the game. Uh, I guess I'm going back. One right. thing and I you, will note. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was going to say that you would go back. A lot of people will never return. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And working in one of the local shops, I was frequently the apologist uh, for for the team going, it, it, come on back. It gets better. You know, they're not bad guys. They're just shy. Um, 
that wasn't always true for everybody, but what are you going to do? Uh, but the, uh, the other thing I was going to share, uh, is what I call Brady's law. <laughs> and that is for every additional person on a ride, there is a 25% reduction in the chance that you will stick to your original game plan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a really good point. I should have mentioned we found that 10 people per group is mm -hmm. a good number. Once you get yeah, you more can manage than that, things at that. Yes. Yeah. Bigger than that, it's hard to manage. So what we've done is 10 people. We split it. We find mm -hmm. someone else who can lead that next group to split people. Going back to the Web page, we've got the route there. So people can come in advance with the route. Now that so many people have GPS computers that... In some ways, makes it nicer. Some ways, doesn't. Mm. One of the problems with a GPS computer is people can attack the leader or the group and go off the front and not get lost. It used to be helpful that if someone decided that they were going to go ahead and go really fast and pick up the pace of the group, they would get lost, which would be a nice <laughs> way of keeping them in check and keeping them with the group because they don't know where they're going. Yeah, I was guilty of that once. I'd, I'd been away at graduate school. Uh, I'd been away at UMass, got back to Memphis, showed up for a group ride that I knew. And it was one of those big, you know, people from eight different clubs showing up. Um, it was just a standing Tuesday night group ride. We roll out. I'm feeling really fit. I'm going to beat on all my friends because I've been racing with UMass. And I expect us to do the same old course that we've always done. Well, that spring while I was away, they changed the route and they added this extra little loop that added on five miles. Mm. And I was off the front killing yeah. everybody. And, and then I look over my shoulder and they're all turning left behind me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I can imagine. And I was yep. chasing and, you know, guys were looking back as, you know, checking on me as I was chasing and you could just see them shaking their heads. Yep. I had it coming. I yep. absolutely did. Uh, <laughs> yep. I mean, it's the sort of thing I go back to Memphis and there are people still laughing at it and laughing about it. And it's, you know, it's like 22 years later. <laughs> wow. There you go. <laughs> They're not going to let me forget. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that I picked up from a friend's club many years ago, you know, you were talking about calling stuff out. A lot of times it's hard if you're four or five or six people back to tell whether they said sand or glass or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a pocket knife, you know, yeah. <laughs> crescent wrench, whatever <laughs> it is they're calling out. And so, uh, my friend Greg Page at Lightning Velo, he brought me out on some of their rides and Lightning Velo has this practice of just everything is debris. Mm -hmm. And so you get to know, you know, that trochee of debris. Uh, wait, no, it's an I am. Sorry. Uh, you get to, you know, you hear that word. And even if you can't hear it super clearly, you're familiar with that call. Um, and you know, when you're six, eight people back, it, you, you can tell, oh, they said there's something. Okay. I got to look for something. Uh, I got to avoid that thing. I don't know of another group ride th that I've ever been on where, uh, everyone agreed the same thing, but it's like in rock climbing, you know, you don't say hammer, you don't say whatever. 
everybody just calls rock. If mm-hmm. something's falling, you just say rock and everyone knows, get close to the, to the wall, uh, you know, pull yourself in, look down, stay out of the way and it'll pass you probably. <laughs> right. Yeah, hopefully. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And training is a big part of that, like training mm-hmm. ride leaders and training the ride leaders to be communicative with the people on the ride, especially when someone says they're new. Hey, this is how we do things on this ride. These are the things we say. This is how we point stuff out. We avoid things, those sorts of just there's a lot of that stuff that can be communicated very quickly, efficiently during the course of a group ride. Yeah. And at the beginning, too, I have really the pace and talking about the pace. I think that's one of the most important things. And you're right. People are going to get carried away. It's going to be easy for people to get carried away. And that is where the ride leader and being a strong personality really helps. And being a strong cyclist, too, who's willing to ride under themselves. And then if the whole pace of the whole group picks up, that person can be in the front to at least regroup at the corner so that everyone can get back together and not have that happen again. Or to really just keep the group together while if someone wants to attack, they can go off the front. But now... They're no longer part of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that if that person feels comfortable saying this isn't what we do on this ride. And again, it's fine if that's what that group ride is. But if you're really trying to attract people to a group ride, typically the attacking mentality is not a friendly one. It's not a way of attracting people to the group. Uh, and then, sure, friends attacking each other, going for a, a Maybe a town line sprint. That's something people do here frequently because there's town lines mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. If, if you want to do that. OK, we, we ended up saying no town line sprints on our ads just because of the danger associated with them. And you yeah. hear too many stories about people hitting pavement from some something that happened in a sprint that when you've got cars on the roads, we've got narrow roads here. There's just certain things that you're really better off not doing, especially with the group. And I will be the first to admit, I did a townline sprint last week. I was riding with two others and it just felt good. <laughs> we were out on a road with no cars anywhere. And I haven't sprinted, I don't think, in a year and a half. So, but you have to know the time and the place. And on the group ride, there's a lot of things that you might do on your own that just doesn't really belong. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Cool. Uh, Alrighty. Well, we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Cycling Independent, which produces the Pace Line, is undertaking our first ever subscriber drive. The three of us who founded the Cycling Independent did not set out on this adventure to do subscriber drives. But as it turns out, this is the only way for any of us to be able to eat food or retain shelter. So here we are asking you to subscribe. Here's why it's worth your while. Number one, we put out good stuff. Features, essays, reviews, podcasts, etc. We make it all ourselves and we'll make more every day. Two, each of us has a track record of quality work and honesty. You can count on us to do our part when you do yours. Three, our main goal is to grow an independent community of cyclists, people who are dedicated to riding as much as possible and also getting as many other people as possible on a bike for the better of our own lives our families, our towns, and even our planet. Four, more subscribers means we can bring more voices, more diverse voices, and better content to this little game of ours. 
They say a marketing effort shouldn't use negative words, that you should avoid words like don't and shouldn't and won't. But what we don't do is also part of our value to you. Number one, we don't plant cookies on your machine and then use them to serve you targeted ads from paying third parties. Two, we don't fling advertising at you every time you click on a story or link. Three, we don't accept money from companies trying to get positive press. And so when we recommend something, we do it freely and based on our real world experience. Four, we are not a monolithic publishing company channeling eyeballs into campaigns unrelated to cycling or channeling dollars into politics or other causes, not bike-specific, that might not jibe with your views. We are about the bike and riding and bringing people together. End of story. So this is it. We aim to add 300 subscribers in the month of March. 300 new contributors to the project. Join us. It will be worth it. We promise. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for my poll. Okay, we're going to talk rain. Oh, no. <laughs> Unless you're in the front range of Colorado or the Laramie Range in Wyoming where they're busy having snow apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, most folks out there are probably beginning to get some rain this time of year. Here in the North Bay, we are getting... I'll call it lots of weather. <laughs> and that seems more like what we typically get in February, cold rain uh, and as the aforementioned sleet and, and hail. Uh, <laughs> so I got a question from a friend recently about choosing between a rain jacket and a membrane jersey like the Castelli, Perfetto and Gabba pieces. Um, these are really notably different approaches to dealing with rain, and there are reasons for each. So depending on the manufacturer, the membrane pieces are sometimes called jerseys and sometimes called jackets, whatever. You got to be prepared to like bounce around on the website some to look a little bit. The basics are these. They fit snug, you know, like a long sleeve jersey, in part because they offer some stretch, unlike your average rain jacket. They keep you dry by virtue of the membrane that is bonded between the outer and inner layers. And they make feeding on the fly easy as you've got three pockets in the back. Uh, they feature full zippers, uh, which can be handy for venting. And uh, lots of them actually come in both short and long sleeve versions. Uh, some of these also uh, have uh, zippered venting. A rain jacket tends to have a looser fit in part because they don't stretch usually. Gore has a stretchy rain jacket, uh, but I'm going to leave that out of this discussion. That looser fit also allows for more layering be beneath the jacket. With a piece like the Gabba, I can fit a single long sleeve base layer beneath it, but no more. Uh, with a rain jacket, I've got room for a base layer and a long sleeve jersey, thermal jersey, a thick, heavy jersey. Mm. Most rain jackets, though, don't have the traditional trio of pockets in the back. So feeding or doing anything else can mean reaching through a vent or unzipping a pocket that you don't want to fill up with water like a fishbowl. <laughs> okay, so those are the differences. And I'll say that I have both and I do wear both. Um, how do I choose? I consider it like this. 
If I'm doing an event like a grasshopper or bike monkeys fish rock, which in 2019 was one of the coldest, nastiest days I have ever had on the bike, I'll wear a Gabba or Perfetto. I want the snug fit so that I'm not getting wind noise off the garment and so I can get to my pockets easily. Also, in an event, I'm going harder so I don't have to worry as much about staying warm. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So now, yeah, if I'm going out for a training ride and I know I can pull over when I, whenever I want to feed myself and I'm not at risk of losing a group, which is generally how I do my rain riding just by myself, maybe with one or two other people, I'll wear a rain jacket. I can layer more with a rain jacket, which means I can do easy base miles and not get cold. And also, seriously, this is a real consideration. You've got to wash a membrane jersey after each rainy ride. With a rain jacket, I frequently just wipe off the outside and let it hang because I don't want to wash off the DWR finish any quicker than absolutely necessary. Most rain jackets also come with a higher collar, which I can attest can be handy in the event of, um, what's that? Oh, yeah, hail. Um, I can't believe you have to manage for hail now. <laughs> I verified that during two different rides last week, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and I'll say that, you know, most everybody makes a rain jacket. So you have the ability to try on different ones and get different fits. Um, you know, Gore has that shake dry jacket, but it's a pretty pro fit. Um, so if you're carrying any special, bare winter tonnage um it's not a great fit um pearl azumi is known for offering you know multiple different kinds of fits uh so it's more accommodating that way and you know with a with a membrane jersey uh the stretchiness that can that can definitely help um it's a, a little more forgiving in that regard i uh I've also appreciated that, uh, like with the GABA, they, they've done a couple different things in the past, uh, grommets or uh, mesh material, so that if it's just pouring, water won't fill up your pockets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, if it's really waterproof, you've got problems in your pockets. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, it's not often that I'm in weather that that is that bad or you know mm-hmm. rain that's that heavy but it is it has happened um you know i if i was still living in the south the sorts of thunderstorms we would get in memphis mm. oh my gosh yeah um but you know again a good rain jacket will get you through an awful lot and you know just not having to wash it as much being able to choose your wardrobe more easily beneath it. If I only have one piece and I'm not going to be doing events in the rain, then I'm going to go for a rain jacket. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sounds- what do you have to add? Yeah. And, and I dare you to come up with ideas <laughs> that don't involve 45 North. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess we're starting to sneak out of 45 North season, sadly. Uh but I, yeah, I agree with the logic that you're employing and what you're wearing. I haven't ridden in a lot of rain in my time. When I lived in Colorado, I remember doing 
a single rainy ride or single rainy race ever, Mm -hmm. which also meant if it rained, there's no reason to be outside because there's plenty of other nice days. I just really uh, it didn't really end up happening unless you got caught out, in which case you never had the right stuff on you because you got caught out. So whatever. Um, And then here I've used a, a search and state rain jacket. I'm not actually uh-huh. sure if they even make anymore. They're cut a little slim fit. So for the for what you were saying, like, yeah, if it's a little slim fit and you're coming out of winter, it could be tight. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the arms made for like Italian cyclists, like the skinny, your typical <laughs> yeah. like Italian racer who you would imagine who has really thin arms. But that jacket, I've, I've enjoyed that so much. I just use that for any time it might rain or be chilly. It, it, it does not feel like a plastic bag. And that's the most important thing. And that's where yeah. I think putting some money into a good rain jacket is incredibly important because you do yeah. not want to feel like you're wearing a plastic bag, which mm-hmm. I will tell you, I was on a, I was doing the Rafa gentleman's race back mm-hmm. in the day when they were called the Rafa gentleman's race. And it started raining. The, the day opened up. It had started being beautiful. 60 degrees. The birds were chirping. Later in the day, it was torrential downpours, cold, extremely cold. And so we went to the local convenience store and bought plastic bags and wore them. So the joke is that this is now approved Rafa rainwear because uh, it was the <laughs> Rafa gentleman's race. Decidedly not luxury, but yeah, still. <laughs> exactly. Infinitely better than nothing. Infinitely better and, and quite inexpensive. So, yeah, so like anything will work. But yeah, talk about not slim fitting and making lots of noise. And who cares about aerodynamics? We were a lot glad we lived through that ride. So, yes, the, the, a rain I've done jacket. that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it works. I pulled off my jersey, poked the holes in, pulled that on, and then pulled my jersey back on over it to reduce some of the flappage. That's a good idea. I like that. I, I had not thought about that. <laughs> yeah, anytime that it's raining, yeah. I'm also concerned about being dressed in something that's like dark green or black. Sure. Right. I, I really detest that. Yeah. Um, so I've got I've got some various rain jackets and whatnot, and a, a membrane jersey from Shimano that is just jet black, and I only wear those off road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but usually uh, I, I'm not mountain biking in rain, but you know if there's, you know, if I'm out for some reason and I I'm not worried about trail damage, if I believe that I'm not going to damage a trail, let me clarify. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's when I'll wear the black stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the way I, I tend to operate is I'll take a ja- uh, vest because mm-hmm. typically on the day that I may need a jacket, it's also the same day that a vest can come in handy. And my vest is very bright. And that's a oh, Cafe du Chiclist, also another company I really like. They make some nice like windstopper jerseys, long sleeve, a little more thermal, mm-hmm. some of mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Um, so, yeah, I've got a really bright vest from them that layers over nicely from the rain jacket so okay so now you get lots of lots of color and then lights it's just lights cut through especially with rain it's hard to see and i feel like i'm not sure what colors actually make it through if it's dark and really pouring so yeah the the more things you can do the better yeah one other note regarding the uh uh 
the membrane jerseys. So Castilli invented the category. So they're Gabba and Perfetto. And I, you know, this is, I, I say both those names, the long sleeve that they originally in, introduced was called the Gabba. They now call the long sleeve version, the Perfetto and the short sleeve, the Gabba. I, I wish they hadn't do, done that because it really creates some confusion. But in addition to Castelli, Sportful, Pearl Izumi, and Giordana all offer pieces uh, in this style. One thing worth noting, and as I mentioned, uh, Shimano does as well, uh, part of their S-Fire line. Uh, and it's a really, really solid piece. Uh, but for people in clubs and on teams who want to have something like that with their team colors, you can order those from Giordana. So, uh, you can, you can look all matchy matchy and still have something badass that you're wearing. That's a good point. And we saw the Giordana stuff. I agree that they have some really nice stuff. Yeah. And they also do multiple weights. Uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of companies don't, don't do multiple weights. Sportful and Castelli do. Um, and so there's an awful lot out there. Uh, there are many more choices for dealing with the rain than there used to be uh, enough so yeah. that now I actually have to give some thought to what it is I'm putting on when it's raining. <laughs> well, and I have zero <laughs> excuses left for not riding in the rain. <laughs> well, that inspires, I believe it was Jordana that has also rain um, arm warmers and knee and leg warmers. Yeah. Which are also really nice. Yeah. Castelli, Sportful, uh, Pearl Azumi, Giordana, you know, with Sportful, it's the no rain. Um, and uh, what uh, PI Dry with Pearl Azumi, um, Castelli, uh, what, what's their line called? I'm blanking here. Um, and then uh, with Giordana, it's the Aqua Plus yes. something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. You got Do it. A? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there are, you know, these are all, uh, the fabrics are, are treated. It's not like a DWR finish that can wash off. These are treatments to the fabric that cause the, the precipitation to, uh, beat up and run off. You will still get soaked in an absolute downpour. I mm-hmm, verified yep. this once again last week. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping not, uh, to do any more proof of concept this week. we'll see (laughs) right perfect you are the perfect tester out there thank you very much from all of us (laughs) you know just when i thought i didn't need to get tough anymore it's like well i guess i gotta build back up to something (laughs) (laughs) all righty let's move on to paceline picks what do you have this week Uh, this week i'm talking about the pit locks this is how do you not get your bike stolen so i hear from a lot of people who are worried about getting a getting their bike stolen uh-huh. and and you know again we've been talking about commuting that's a big conversation that we have when we talk about commuting bikes where are you parking a lot of people i know are parking their bike in downtown boston which is bike theft capital of, i think every big city has bike theft issues mm. so the pet, pet locks are really nice to discourage theft and to really prevent it because basically they're they're oh how do i describe this now i have to try to attempt to describe this without showing you You, they're little shapes that fill in bolts or they're also special skewers for wheels so it 
basically involves needing a special tool, uh, one of a thousand different tools. There are these various shapes. So the tool itself is shaped to fit into that piece. So it's special for you. It's something that a bike thief is not going to be walking around with. So, for instance, the skewers on one side of the skewer, it's very round. There's no way you can get a tool on that in order to unbolt it or remove it from the bike. And then on the other side, you need this special tool to fit into the special shape that only your bike has. Well, yours and given that there's a thousand different shapes, very, very unlikely that a bike thief is going to have the same shape as those that you put on your bike. So this applies for the headset bolts, uh, the C-post bolts, these major bolts that hold big parts of your bike together that if they were to walk away, you're going to be very sad. So it doesn't involve a lot of bolts to really keep your bike together, to keep your wheels on, keep that headset, stem, handlebar, everything together. And then your seat post, there's not a lot else that you can really remove from the bike quickly. That's going to mean a lot to a bike thief. And then there's obvious the big lock, the U lock that you're using on your frame to secure your bike. So with any luck, a lot of the game of not getting your bike stolen is just convincing a thief that they're going to have more problems with your bike than somebody else's bike. Yeah, you just have to make it harder for them to do your bike than someone else's. It's yeah. like it's like escaping a bear attack. I don't have to be faster than bear. I have to be faster than you. <laughs> exactly. It's the same concept. It's unfortunate, obviously, who, who wants to have to play this game. But this is a really nice way of keeping your bike from being stolen. Yeah, and it's a it's remarkable that they have come up with a thousand different shapes for for people who can't see this. You know, we'll have a, a link in the show notes, uh, but think of an oddly shaped Allen bolt. You know, you've got a matching oddly shaped Allen wrench. And so it's a nice snug fit. Um, but, you know, yeah, there isn't going to be a bike thief out there carrying around a thousand different wrenches. Yeah. And, and when you think about the logistics of getting parts off of a bike, you you really do need the right wrench to get in there without having. Oh, yeah. I, I, what are you going to hacksaw the bike now? They can't sell it because it's going to be broken. So, yeah, it's very effective. And for cool. a single pit lock, fifty dollars, you can get a set. There's a, a variety of them offered, maybe one hundred fifteen dollars for all the bolts that you need to keep your bike secure. And to be a good deterrent. Oh, and so buying a set means that you're going to have the one the one shape wrench for all the bolts on your bike, which is why you yes. want to do it that way rather than one at a time. That is a good point. And there's a code which you get and you want to hang on to that. I think it can't hurt. You probably get two tools or something when you when you get the pit lock. Uh-huh. Not a bad idea to get an extra because it's such a physical item that if you don't have it, you yourself cannot get those wheels off of your bike. And another thing, make sure when you take your bike to the shop to get it serviced, you take your key with you and <laughs> put it with the bike because the mechanic's going to look at your bike and say, that's great. I would love to help change your tires and I can't get your wheel off. Oh, man. Yeah, that that could be an issue. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All righty. My pick this week is my favorite rain jacket ever. And it's not Gore's shake dry jacket. My Mm -hmm. pick is Showers Pass Spring Classic Jacket. 
This is the jacket that pro teams have actually purchased from Showers Pass. Like there were teams that would order them for all their riders and pay full retail. They do no sponsorship, or at least last I knew they were doing no sponsorship of any pro teams. And that really says all that anyone needs to say about a rain jacket. If you've got pros paying full retail, I think you can rest assured it's pretty badass. The fit is not roomy like so many rain jackets. It's more form-fitting, but it's not so snug as Gore's Shake Dry, which is to say that a long-sleeve base layer and a long-sleeve thermal jerk, uh, jersey will fit beneath this jacket. It's got a single zippered pocket in the rear, and I'm pleased to say that the zipper pull can be operated at 20 miles per hour. The pocket is reasonably roomy, like enough for a phone and four hours worth of food and maybe like an extra pair of gloves or something. At $289, it's not cheap, uh, but this thing is worth every red cent. While the front and back feature three-layer hard shell fabric um, that doesn't feature any stretch at all, they do use a stretchy version of their three-layer fabric in the sides and arms to improve the fit. That's how they managed to make it more form fitting um, without it really causing a problem and you feeling constricted. There's a zippered vent at the top of the shoulders and two zippered side vents that will also grant you uh, access to your jersey pockets, um, as well as a drop tail that reduces butt wetting. Um, and then there's scotch light <laughs> to keep you visible uh, to. Well, everybody except those who are texting their BFFs. <laughs> God. Uh, it comes in five sizes, extra small through extra large. Last I looked, some of the sizes were out in some of the colors. There are two colors, black and cayenne. Why one of the colors is black, I can't begin to tell you, but I can tell you that the cayenne is this red-orange that's rich as a Rockefeller. I normally don't like that that kind of midpoint of red orange. This thing is just so good. It's such a killer color. I love it. I nice. actually get excited pulling out. It's like, yeah, I'm going to look badass with this. Uh, <laughs> cool. There will be a link uh, in the show notes, um, as well as a link to my previous review of this jacket on RKP. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gore actually used to have another uh rain jacket that i liked a whole lot and um unfortunately they discontinued it so i'm not talking about it at all <laughs> yeah yeah uh but showers pass is going nowhere on this thing so i can i can recommend it um quite heartily excellent uh, yeah well that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line we do have a little piece of news that we need to share uh patria why don't you jump in and tell everybody well, being spring in the bike shop, as I've certainly alluded to in the last couple of shows, it's bonkers at the shops and the shops need me. Uh, uh, so just a matter of time and how much effort uh, and basically time that it takes to make sure that riders are riding this spring. I am not going to unfortunately have enough time to be able to have time to do the show, which makes me very sad. I'm, I've been enjoying this very much. I've learned a lot being that this is the first time I've ever done any podcasting or spoken to 
the world at large, which has been a, it's just a, a neat experience. It's been cool connecting with writers as far away as Australia. And, uh, and I think it's, it, it's definitely given me an opportunity to, to think in different ways. Like who are the writers out there? And I obviously focus a lot on the Boston area, but it's given me a great opportunity to think about the writers in California, the writers in Australia, the writers around the world, and then the community that we all share. So it's been it's been really great. We both knew going into this that uh, springtime is risk. really tough <laughs> with time. Yeah. yeah. So we knew going in that that my time would be would be tight. And it's just to be fair to the customers with whom I work and the bike shops. Uh, yeah, I'll have to step, step back and enjoy listening to the show with whomever you're doing it with next. So we've got two more episodes that we're going to do. And then there will be a period of time where, uh, robot and Kush from the cycling independent will do some subbing in as I am in a search, uh, for a new co-host. Uh, I've talked to a few people. Uh, honestly, I'm still looking for candidates. Uh, I'm, I'm bummed to lose you, Patria. Oh, um, yeah, but, uh, as we say, the show will go on. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I am enjoying thinking about, well, well, who could, who could be the other person? Uh, so I look forward to that solution. Yeah, I'm and, sure you'll uh, find somebody great. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I'm open to suggestions from the listenership. If they know somebody who might be a good fit. Yeah. Um, alrighty, everybody keep the questions coming and, and maybe a few answers. Uh, <laughs> you all have been sending great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Paceline.